Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Leanne and Charlotte. Hello, hello, hello. Mm, you sound chirpy, Charlotte. Why is that? Well, you know, the sun was shining and I'm just feeling nice. Jeez. You're really feeling yourself, aren't you, right now? Your hair's looking good. This might be the clip that I let everybody see of you. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, listeners, for listening to the podcast, sharing it. We've had a lot, a lot of love. Um, And we're just so glad to be able to give everybody an ear into these stories. And we're able to share them. You know, these are real people leading real stories. And if anything that we've learned over the last couple of weeks, actually the year so far, is just giving people a voice to live in their truths and to express themselves. And it's not just you guys that might be benefiting from this that are listening, but the women who are sharing their stories and men coming forward, this is also changing their lives. So thank you so much for the feedback, every single message that I get and the ladies get, it really means so much to us and um, the project. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This show uh, today is really exciting because we've got three really powerful black women coming on the show and I am calling this show, thanks to one of the guests that are coming on that gave me the name because I didn't have this name. <laughs> we are calling this show Leading Ladies in Cancer Care. Love so we've got three very, very powerful ladies coming on the show very, very shortly. Um, Charlotte, I don't know about you, but when I was going through my treatment, I didn't see any people of colour that were treating me. I mean, black people. I saw a few Asian people, like my doctor, he was like Chinese and he was fantastic. My black breast cancer surgeon, he was brilliant, my plastic surgeon. But in terms of like doctors and consultants, I never saw one person black. Did you? I think I remember one registrar, one lady actually, who was a registrar. Yeah. Um, who I saw, but I only saw her like maybe three or four times. Mm. And I went through it. For like two years so mm. that's a lot in that time it's really weird because a lot of the things that are coming forward from the talks that i'm having with a lot of the women is having problems and actually barriers um, just communication barriers with their consultants and surgeons not understanding things like black skin not understanding you know like even with like the the breast care nurses or the you know your your care nurse or liaison officer i don't know what you guys have called it in different cancer departments but for example with us in the breast ours was called breast care nurses um and you know completely missing a trick in terms of what these women what we're having to go through you know and our hardships and the things that we might be dealing with at home so a lot of the time that equals to lack of support um and actually not feeling there's a there's a there's a level of distrust there and as i keep saying to people it's around education right and more people need to be educated on um people of color's needs you know, I feel like it needs to be a huge part in the educational system for medical professionals. You know, yeah. education that actually there are cultural myths and taboos that are stopping these people from getting treatment, may have problems when it comes to taking certain treatment, but also even asking them, are they OK? Sometimes when they say yes, it doesn't mean they're OK, you know, mm-hmm. and actually at the very core, if these people did their job right, 
I'm not going to say they don't they do their job wrong, but if they had this kind of all round package, then a product like ours wouldn't necessarily need to exist. Yeah. The hospitals have got it right. They've got on one hand, you've got your your consultants, you've got your surgeons, you've got your oncologists. And then on the other hand, you've got the people that are meant to be taking care of you. And I don't know about you, but the people that were meant to be taking care of me weren't great. Yeah, that was the same with me. And I didn't feel comfortable to speak to them anyway, because whenever I did, I felt like I was being judged in everything that I said. So after that, I just thought, you know what? Let me just keep quiet. Yeah, it's very sad. It's very sad that it has to be that way. But unfortunately, this is, it seems like, it's a common trend right yeah okay so i think we should get them in don't you yes i'm really really excited to let them in ladies so first up i've got georgette oddy who is a consultant plastic surgeon and she's been in plastic surgery for almost 20 years and you've been specializing in breast surgery in the past three years is that right hello really happy to be here actually really we are absolutely honored to have you on and we'll talk a bit more about why we're honored and how me and you know each other in a minute so thank you for that next up we've got sarah adoma and she is a clinical nurse specialist in breast cancer and you've been doing this for 16 years as an oncology nurse and nine years as a breast nurse specialist so thank you for coming on the show tonight sarah my pleasure i'm truly honored to be on here thank you for having me to have you so thank you the last but not least we've got the wonderful mary oladelli and she's a senior therapeutic radiographer is that right that's right and you studied in 2013 you qualified in 2016 and i swear i read somewhere you're the youngest what yeah, I'm the youngest advanced practitioner, um, so I specialise in proton therapy now, so yeah. <laughs> you know what, everybody's muted, but we're clapping for you, sis, do you know what I mean? Thank, Thank you once Thank again for coming on the show. We've got, the thing is with all three of you, when I asked you for these bios, you were all modest. You just put this in here and it was just like, no, you know. There is so much more that you guys do. So I want to hear your, and I think the listeners are going to want to hear your individual stories because today is a celebratory podcast. As I said before you came on, Mary, Mary gave me the title because I was struggling with what the title would be. When you're making up these titles, there's a million things. So we are celebrating leading ladies in cancer care and black women as well. So welcome. And we want to hear about your journeys and, and how you found it. So Georgette, for you, for example, please tell us about what you do, your work, how you came into it, and just give us a typical day in the life of what you do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I was here from a very young age that I wanted to, to be a surgeon. Um, so I went to medical school and pretty much off the bat from medical school, started training in surgery. Um, plastic surgery, um, yeah. Yeah, it's been at least yeah, 14 years that I've been training in plastic surgery. Um, and that all sort of completed in 2016, my training, and then I went on to specialise. So um, at this point, I had a lot of friends actually that were getting um, family members that were being affected by breast cancer. I already knew that I wanted to be involved in breast and breast reconstruction, and I've done a lot of training in um, what we call microvascular breast reconstruction. So that's basically taking bits of tissue from one part of the body and then reconstructing the breasts up and affecting me. 
Um, but then I thought, well, actually, it'd be really quite nice if I can do the whole thing. So can I do the breast sort of cancer work as well as the reconstructive work? Um, so I went on to do a fellowship in breast cancer work um, and absolutely loved it, loved the work, loved the fact that I was able to see and treat women from the beginning of their cancer journeys all the way through. Um, and so um, I became, essentially I, I do that for the majority of my working day, that's dealing with breast cancer, particularly now during, during sort of coronavirus pandemic, a um, lot of coordinating and sort of day in, day out. I'm, I'm literally seeing, treating, operating on women that have got breast cancer. Wow, wow. And it's obviously right now it's, it is more busier than usual. You, you did say, you know, before we started, you know, to talk, it's, it's been, non it's just been absolutely busy. It really has. And I think that, that um, the, the working week, you do a variety of things, part of which is breast cancer work. Mm -hmm. um, but because of coronavirus, all the other stuff has been put on hold and the priority is to try and to treat as many ladies with cancer as we possibly can. So actually my entire working week now is, is, is consumed with that and sort of the coordinating that, that that's involving right now. Um, it, it, it's been interesting times. Wow. Wow. My hat's off to you. Salute you, really salute you. And thank you for coming on the show. I know you've done a busy day today and you've come on the show this evening, so thank you. Sarah, please tell us about what you do. I can see you multitasking over there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, in my jeans. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, so I nursing almost came to meet me along my my way in life. I never planned to be a nurse, um, but it just kind of met me, and I took it on with delight. Uh, but whilst I was training, this is back in two thousand and one. Um, in uni, um, I went back home to Ghana, which is where I'm originally from, and I witnessed a few things that I wasn't very happy with in terms of the way we see cancer in, within our society in general. But part of my training, I got real interest in oncology and I thought it was a fascinating area of medicine and I developed much more interest in that. And so I always then knew right from that time before I qualified, I wanted to be an oncology nurse. Yeah. Um, so I was very fortunate to get my new job in the one of the most... Um, if you like, um, really good hospitals in the whole world mm -hmm. um, that specialize in cancer, which is the Royal Marsden Hospital yeah, cool. um, back in 2004. And that was a true uh, dream come true because at that point, even newly qualified nurses were not being ad admitted, um, employed in that trust. Yeah. And so I was quite um, uh, enthused when I got the, my first job there. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it so much that I never left it. So yeah, I've always been an oncology nurse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but my interest in breast cancer um, actually comes from, I have always had interest in women's health. So gynae and breast was always something that I had really enjoyed and wanted to do more and advance more um, in. And so in 2011, I branched in and having had quite a number of different jobs within the trust um, to a point where I had a job as a lecturer practitioner in the um, Royal Marsden School of Cancer Nursing. And rehabilitation. I then started my job as a breast care nurse um, and that's where I am since. Um, and the real drive for that was to really try and empower 
um, and sort of change the, the, the conversation yeah. within our society. And that has been my real driver. Yeah, definitely. And you've definitely been doing that. So thank you. Thank you for your work. And we'll talk a bit more about the other stuff that you do, actually. Thank you. Mary, you've got an exciting role. <laughs> Hiya. Um, so, yeah. Um, where do I start from? Um, so, like I said in my bio, so I studied in... Yeah, I think I would start from here. I think like Sarah said, to be honest, I don't think I actually chose oncology. I think oncology actually chose me. Yeah. So when I wanted to apply for you, I, I, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I've always wanted to help people that I know from when I was young anyways. Um, so I wanted to be a doctor, but when it came to applying, I was so scared. I was so worried. I was just like, oh, I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I can do it. So at the last minute, I chickened out and I was quite afraid, if I'm being honest. Um, so I thought I wanted to do diagnostic. So like CT, MR, um, just general chest x-rays. But then I found that very, very boring. I knew I enjoyed to um, patients. I enjoy talking to people. So someone told me about um, radiotherapy. And I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I didn't even get, the, um, didn't even get in the first time for it. Or, and then through clinic they just offered me the place which is very interesting wow, yeah so that and then I did my placement at guys in St Thomas and you know just being at guys in St Thomas I saw a lot of things I was like I think like Sarah said was very very distressing so I knew obviously from being from a Nigerian background um and I was basically raised in and born in Nigeria and having come um having been brought here by my parents i knew that you know the stigma that we have especially nigerians or africans or you know people from the community had about cancer was very very negative and very very different um so for example you'd go to um the guys in St. Thomas, you would see that patient who was from the BAME community just sitting by themselves, but you'd see another person, like our white counterpart, come with different people every day. They had the whole system, you know. Sally was bringing them, um, Tanisha was bringing food, um, Fiona was picking up their kids. They had the whole system. But you saw the, um, um, the people, women from the BAME community, or just people from the BAME community, just alone in a corner, quite sad. It was very, very sad to talk about. And even when they did come, they came at the late stage. Yeah. So in church conversation started and with family and I was just like why don't people actually speak about it and I realized that was the fact that they just didn't know um so from there I started um cancer education UK um but about my career so like I said I've been qualified since 2016 and I'm very very thankful to God that my career has just progressed very quickly um I worked at Southampton worked at Kent then went left went to private care um, and then worked at the Marsden for a short while, and now I'm back in private care, um, doing Proton, which is literally the cutting edge um, technology for um, cancer treatments as well. So it's been, I've been, uh, I would say God has been very, very kind <laughs> to me, if I can say, um, with my career. But I think with cancer education um, UK as well, it's just been pushing and pushing, educating people from Black, Asian and ethnic minority community about cancer and helping um, as much as we can. Um, so that's, that's kind of been my journey, to be honest. Um, yeah. And I think that's really good to point out because I want to bring the other ladies into conversation. And I think you pointed it out really well, Mary and Sarah, you also did as well. 
within our communities, hence why also Black Women Rising exists anyway. As I like to go around and say to people, I do not have the time to run a cancer charity. I don't. This was almost something that fell on my lap because when I was going through treatment, there was nothing like it. So for me, we do have these stigmas and taboos that are such a detriment to our community and they're doing nothing but but damage in your profession and in, in your your line of work is this something that you have seen time and time again sarah i know that you said a little bit about what you saw when you went back home and stuff yeah definitely this is something that i see quite a bit um and it's often quite difficult to see women come into clinic and they share, you know, trying to just kind of hide away, don't tell anybody, don't let nobody know, don't seek yeah. help. Yeah. You know, they just can't feel that, that they have the ability to speak to anybody, let anybody around them. Sometimes mm-hmm. even their own family, you know, people they live in the same household with or grew up with they just don't want nobody to know mm-hmm. um or people they may go to church with and, they, and it's any any kind of area of life it's like they are, they are boxed in yeah. um and anything but there is support here take the support you know sometimes even offering them complementary therapies they would just say no i don't want anything it's like but you're not paying for it this is something that is there for you to take to support you to help you through a very difficult journey a very difficult path um and and it's very disheartening to see it mm-hmm. uh, that we seem to sort of just quarrel and be in a corner and not want to take things forward or or see or sometimes even seek the right help because again one of the things that i see often sometimes is people saying no to treatment yeah um, due to all sorts of different reasons. And that can be on both sides, but often I've seen that happen a lot. Um, I worked in King's College as part of my um, working role. And, and, you know, often you see people come into clinic and they'll say no to treatment. In the next six months or so, they'll come into A&E completely riddled with disease and, and your heart breaks. I think we could, have, we could have probably not, you know, we're not, we're not demigods, but we could have maybe prevent this or minimize the risk of this happening this soon exactly. if only you had we had worked together with you and see ways of supporting you and that breaks your heart it completely breaks your heart um so yeah i do see that quite a bit within our within our um communities and it's not just the afro-caribbean is the BAME community all of the BAME community yeah Thank you so much for that honest account, Sarah, um, because that's what I've seen. And obviously I've not been doing this work as a professional or in any way, but definitely the women that come our way, that's what we see time and time again, women that come in and they're completely just shut off because they've been going through this diagnosis, completely isolated. People don't know that they've had it. They haven't made sense of it. You know, they've taken chemo and things like that, but it's not respected. You know, they've not been respected. They've got, you know, the people have turned against them because they've decided to go down the traditional medical route. Um, you know, there's a, there's a stigma, isn't there, in our community? You know, keep your business to yourself sort of thing. Nobody wants to hear what you've got to yeah. say. You know, let's let's keep it hush, hush. So not only have you got, don't feel like you've got a way to express yourself, you're also going through this terribly traumatic disease, which leads to the outcome you know, if you're if you're one of the sort of lucky ones to, to mm. get through the treatment, yeah. this slippery slope of, and it's not just about depression, but quite a negative experience happens afterwards. And what we did yeah. in the early days of, of Black Women Rising when we did the support group with just, you know, tea and cake, 
the women that would turn up were women that were 10 years post-treatment, mm. which is an amazing achievement to be 10 years in remission coming and their hair hadn't grown back because they were so traumatized and they had come to a group for the first time and that outlet of expression mm. these women broke down you yeah. know because the first time they were able to speak about their diagnosis you yeah. know and this is what we're getting there's this kind of whole thing of keeping it hush 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 and it's not working no. you know? and, and it's and this is why our mortality rates for cancer are just so high it's so unhealthy georgette in your experience, what have you seen? Because obviously we'll talk a bit about, more about the amazing work that you do with the conference and stuff, but tell us what sort of stuff have you seen? So um, for me, I was going to say one of the, the reasons why I like working in Nottingham is because it's actually very diverse. One in three people in Nottingham mm -hmm. are non It's got a really big diverse um, population there. Um, and I frequently speak ladies um, from a vein background. Um, and... I have to say that it, I have found that actually the fact that they've got someone who looks like them going through mm -hmm. this and management plan, I found that they're more likely to take up the treatments, take up the offers. I'll tell them that the things that are available. Um, we're quite fortunate. We've got um, a couple of breast care nurses um, in London, um, so they have that kind of one-to-one care. And I'm sure Sarah, you know, will, will talk about how you know, reliant ladies can be upon their, their breast care nurse. Such an important role for helping the lady get through their cancer journey. Yeah. Um, so for me, personally, it's been a really positive thing because I've been able to put myself in a position where I can actually do things to help women that look like me, essentially. And that really was the catalyst um, for the conference, which you all helped me with um, yeah. last um, and it was just, it was a really amazing feeling actually. It was a really positive, positive day. I mean, the work that you do, just it, it is about positivity that yes, you've got this diagnosis, but actually, you know, if picked up early, if treated early, for the vast majority of ladies, you know, you get through the cancer journey and there is life beyond. And I think, and you know, I was listening to a podcast actually this morning and, you know, the last time we were talking about things about taboo and about culture and about mm. how we in. Um, and Della was on there talking about how you know you think cancer is in death. Um, and so it was a really good opportunity to say, well, actually, no, it's not. If we can, you know, can get you in there early, get you treated early, access all the support that you can get, because it's there, it's available, as Sarah has just said, you can get through this. No one's denying it's going to be a horrendous time, because it is. But we are here to help you and support you to get through it. Absolutely. And we said that before we echoed exactly what you said before you came, you guys came on was that actually when you're going through treatment, like when I went through treatment, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see any women of color, you know, in the oncology department, consultants, surgeons, uh, the care nurses, it was very rare. So, so, so funny when I met both of you two, Georgette and Sarah, and then obviously read about you, Mary, it was that, wow, these women, they're the first of, you know, that I've seen. Um, in, in these amazing roles and actually having you guys there makes the patient experience so different yeah. you know because you have some understanding a lot of the complaints that we've got from women you know personally myself I didn't have an awful time but where I did have an awful time was in terms of the breast 
care nurses. That was the part that I had a, a, a hard time with, not understanding just some of the basics, you know, like the level of shame that I felt with my cancer diagnosis and why that was there. There was no understanding. It was like, why don't you just pick up yourself and go here? And it's like, no, don't you understand? It doesn't work like that. You know, there was a lot of lack of understanding. So at the very basic level, there's a there's just such a need for more education. Um, perhaps Mary's charity will probably do more in this area of educating more health professionals on, you know, the cultural needs um, of our community. So Mary, I mean, look, you do some fantastic work. And I think not only are you this young, um, amazing, you know, radiographer, whatever, you know, you're, you're fantastic and, and that's inspirational, but you also run a charity um, called Cancer Education UK. Um, and, and tell us about that and, and what gave you the, the drive to do that? Because you said you've always wanted to give and be able to, to give back and help people. So tell us what was the, the catalyst and tell us what, you, what you're doing with the charity and what your aim is. Um, so I think like Sarah said, you know, um, you see a lot of people who come in and they refuse treatment. And I always tell this story, actually. Um, I think I was moved. I was always moved by people who came in. But there was a lady, um, and I always say this is actually so emotional. It's like she probably most likely was the same age as my grandma. And, and you know, a Nigerian elderly woman, being very cultural. Um, and I remember in her first day chat, you know, the pre-treatment you, ha um, you have before it, the therapy. And she just broke down in tears and she started crying. And she was just like, you know, she felt like almost God had robbed her because she had served God all her life. She's now retired. She's just about to start enjoying life and now she has cancer. So she almost felt like she was guilty and she almost blamed God. Um, so there was also the shame of it. And like Sarah um, rightly said, she refused some part of her treatment. And later on down the line, I saw her again and she came back in a worst state. And it's so emotional because you just think how people are not, you know, even when I speak to, when I go for meetings, when I speak to people, people are like, there's so much information out there. I'm like, yes, there is so much information out there, but we fail to realize that some people just don't want to, just don't want to take that information in. And I say this, like when we do Instagram live every Thursday or, um, over the week, I say, you know, what healthcare professionals and I think what the NHS or um, policymakers need to realize that one person, when a, um, a white person has a cancer diagnosis, that's different. When a black person or someone from the BAME community has a cancer diagnosis, it's a completely different um, um, experience for them. That person has to go through shame. They have to go through, you know, that mentality of getting themselves back together because some people are like, I just don't want my friends and family to know. This lady refused chemo because she was just like, my hair's going to fall out and then I'm going to be weak. I'm going to be sick. I'm not going to go to church. And when I don't go to church, people are going to call me. They're going to say, what's wrong? I can't miss church. What's going to happen? In all of this, she forgot about herself. She forgot about the fact that she wanted to get better. She forgot about, okay, do you know what? I need to get better for myself. She didn't want to have an ID um, photograph taken because she knew so many people who worked within the hospital. She was just like, and people could see her and they would literally link it. My heart broke. And this time I was probably, um, <laughs> probably, uh, I'm 26 now and I was probably quite young. And I went home and I remember just crying on the journey home, like on the train home, and I was like, this is ridiculous. And I think, like, um, Sarah said again, we go for, like, outreach just before COVID, and people are telling you, like, oh, um, 
their best friend died and they didn't even know that their best friend had cancer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This is madness. How are we living in such a world? But people believe there's so much information out there. I don't believe people can be still negligible about cancer. I'm like, yes, they are. People don't believe. People go as far as thinking um, cancer is an infectious disease. It's a contagious disease. I know. Um, and, and, and I think when we talk about patient experience as well, um, and part of the reason why I suggested that it had to be leading ladies in cancer care is because I remember um, there's, always, there's always that old Jamaican lady when she sees me and she's wanting to hug me. And I love that. <laughs> I love that about patients who, when they see you, that they see, okay, another person, whether it be Asian, in fact, even because going into the Asian communities, um, when I sit down with them and I understand their own mindset about cancer, so it's so different for, to black people's mindset about cancer yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even when an Asian person sees you, they might not see that, okay, you're not Asian, but the fact that they see that you have some kind of cultural understanding, they feel more comfortable to be able to talk to me as a healthcare professional or, you know, either a Ghanaian or a Syrian lady, grandma, and even young lady comes and she hugs you because she feels almost safer that you're there. And I think as healthcare professional, we don't actually understand that our people need to see us more there. Um, I think more young people need to be encouraged to get into um, different parts of medicine so that they, we, all, we always um, help people and help all our people experience better care because, you know, um, there's like a research, there is actually a statistic that say black people or people from um, ethnic minority community, they have a worse um, cancer care experience than white counterparts, even Asian as well and it's it's very very sad yes we have a role to play in the fact that we need to fill in the questionnaires we need to be more responsive when um when when these conversations are happening yes the black community need, need to do that but also there needs to be this level of understanding and, and i always say cancer isn't a one fits all kind of thing because you can't expect that a white person is going to have the same experience as a um as a black person no you have to take in that that person has some kind of cultural belief that they've believed all their life we have to take that into into perspective as well and so with cancer education that's really um what we do so we go around we then raise awareness about cancer we let people know okay go for your um, um cervical smear test even my own personal friends imagine we're all 25 26 and they're like oh, i've had my smear i've had my um, invitation for my smear test and they don't want to do it and we sit down and i say okay why don't you want to do it and then we we break it down and then later on they're like okay I'm gonna go, and we 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 go as far as saying, okay, do you know if it's if it's that you need someone to come with you, someone to hold your hand when the test is happening, we'll come with you at least so that you are still going because we never know if it means that someone needs to come with you and we can save your life. I'd rather do that than know that someone else is going to lose their sister, their daughter just to um, survive cancer or something else. So we go around, we raise awareness about signs and symptoms of cancer. Um, test underneath the NHS that people need to do and then we provide support for women who um just people in general not just women who have cancer so we offer free physio we're yeah. looking into um doing different so um complementary therapies as well to support women um I keep saying women to support people who have um who have cancer as well and then we do the whole reintegration so we help people get into um into their workplace into their community yeah. 
like and like you rightly mentioned women feel like okay i've lost my hair i don't feel confident women who had a double mastectomy i remember a patient breaking down saying that she doesn't feel like a woman as well anymore because she's lost both the breath both her breath so obviously we have the whole um reconstruction process but some women are like, i don't feel like myself anymore then how do you get that person feeling that you're not different yes you had cancer but you had cancer cancer didn't have you and it's almost that it's almost that conversation that we need to start having within our community and so that's that's my whole vision and i think my team's vision with cancer education so it's 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 a long task and but we can see that it's working and it's yeah of course it's definitely it's working and what i would say to you and i think what's very very important to note yeah because i think there's a very small and i can see it right now particularly with everything that's going on there's only a few organizations that have been highlighted throughout this whole experience where we're talking about racism and we're bringing up things about health inequalities in this country and cancer's one of them and people have now started to clock on and it's so funny as we're going around with all the different cancer initiatives that there are um you know your organization mary keeps getting mentioned ours as well we've got simers you know we keep getting mentioned all the time i have been a very massive advocate about working together because we are of a minority and if we're all seen to be all doing all the same thing but different it kind of beats the object and I think we need to be working together a lot more because if we're duplicating on projects pampanites this going on and whatever we need to come together more because we're all trying to achieve the same aim everything yeah. you just said right there is exactly the same of why we started black women rising but what we need to do because as a race anyway we're so divisive let's mm. show them very different in the cancer world that we can come together and we can do things collaboratively and we can bring everybody together and that's why i really really love the conference georgette that you do because it's a one-off thing isn't it every every year you do it and it's all about bringing i know that it's only about breast cancer at the moment but it's about bringing people together and actually you had a full house at your last conference and so tell us about what that conference was about i know sarah was heavily involved in that as well tell us what that conference was about and why and why you done it because i know that you didn't get much out of it a lot of it was your own money that you put into that there was a lot of banging on a lot of closed doors to get that conference off the ground tell us so i mean that, that came about because um of the statistic that you're talking about which is essentially that women black women you know, for every step of the way, they tend to have worse outcomes for breast cancer. Um, and part of, so I think we don't really fully understand why. I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, but part of why we think that might be could in part be related to lack of knowledge about the disease, you know, presenting early, what treatments mean, um, trying to engage with treatment, you know, once you have the diagnosis. Um, and the data that we have is actually very, very, very limited. Um, but the data that we do have, unfortunately, does show that black women do worse. And so I thought, well, if we've got an opportunity to be able to educate, then we should really just try and do that. And I have to say that I was, I was very impressed with, we had quite a lot of big name companies who sponsored us for that conference. King, the the um, African Caribbean medical students were amazing at King's, um, King's College. Um, medical school, they helped us organise it, they, they were super organised, they were brilliant in helping us organise it. Um, so, so 
Sarah, I didn't know. I just found her on Twitter. Della, I found her on Twitter. You, I found through Della. It was just amazing. Like, you, you know, exactly as you say, there are all these women in breast cancer community. There's all these women who are all, you know, just really, really trying to get the word out there that, you know, we, you know, we, we've lived it. We help people through it. You know, we can do this. Uh, and I just thought it, was, it would be really nice just to have a conference where we can just like bring all that together. So bring professionals, bring um, lay people, bring the public, you know, so that everybody can have that discussion. And I've got to say, I have a lot of my colleagues came to help, not all black. Okay? We had some white colleagues that came, we had Asian colleagues that came. Um, we have a lot of public that came. We had 200 people sign up for this conference. And it's not just the first of its kind for black women. It was the first of its kind full stop. And the reason it was the first of its kind full stop is because it was for women who either have had cancer or going through treatment for cancer or supporting people who were going through cancer, as well as healthcare professionals that were involved in breast cancer care. So it, it was really nice that it was just this mixture. You oftentimes just have one or the other, but there was this mixture. Um, and, you know, we just did practical things like how to, how would you examine your breast? You know, making sure that you were fitted for the right bra. We had really, really good feedback. We found it a really, really positive day. Um, obviously, coronavirus has scuppered that a little bit, but I think what we can do hopefully this year um, and that's what's great to hear from, you know, things that Mary's doing. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, of course, Leanne, you're all, you know, you're always really kind of advocating out there. It would be really, really good if we could at least try and do something that's maybe like web-based. Um, yeah. and, and I think the beauty of this kind of platform is actually it can be international. So, you know, we can hear from ladies, you know, around the world to see what their experiences, experiences are. Um, so I definitely see this as something that we can just we just keep going with. You know, it, it, it's needed, it was wanted, it was really well received. Um, and I think, you know, it's just a reflection of, of what you, you guys are, are doing, that there's a real need for this out there. Absolutely. And I totally agree. And Sarah, you were obviously involved in this, but I know you go around and do talks and things and you're actually one of the people that I know are very, very hands-on on the ground because we've had women that have come through Black Women Rising and gone, oh, that's my breast care nurse. That's, you know, I know that lady, very, very popular face amongst, you know, a lot of the women that we see. So tell us, like, what's your role? Because it's all about the care side of stuff. Yeah. You know? so I can imagine how emotionally exhausting it is. So, so tell us what what things are you used to seeing, and and what's what's the important part of your role for you? I think, as um, Georgie has said, breast care nurse, um, we there is a lot of evidence um, to to support that we are pivotal in patients' care, and 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 we don't. I, I personally don't take that for granted at all. I think we sort of. The, the one person probably there throughout that patient's whole journey. And we get to know our patients true and true. And mostly the, the rest of the team tend to depend on us because we get to know people um, so well. And I think that's, that's the beauty of our job and the beauty of what I do, for example, is that you know the person, you know who they are, you get to, know, you get to find out a lot more about them as a person so that you treat them as a whole person and that's important is i 
always say to ladies is, you know, yes, there is breast cancer. You've got breast cancer that we're treating now. There is life before, there is life during, there's life after. Yeah. And it's important that whatever we're doing, we are able to not just see what we do now, but how that impacts on the going, the, 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 the future as well. So it's a lot of our work, it's supporting. Mm-hmm. A lot of our work is signposting patients um, because often we may know set services available to them that they may not be aware of and it's important that we're able to then signpost them and that that comes from having a good rapport assessment of the person knowing what is happening but also and enabling them to touch base with you because often there can be there are a few times where the, the, the relationship can be a bit reliant so you know the, the person then the patient then expects you to then be able to do everything uh which is not always good so it's about empowering them and enabling them to also be um, able to access you when they need it and signposting to services that are available and working collaboratively with other organizations voluntary with amongst ourselves to try and improve what the experience our patients get so that's what a lot of what we do sometimes it can feel a bit like a social worker um you yeah. know <laughs> as well because you end up having to unpick a lot of issues that are going on in their family life in their exactly. personal life in their work yeah. life that you then start to kind of step in and guide them a bit and encourage them a bit so we can't be seen as and uh, encompassing everything in in our role but it's 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 cumbersome mm. um, i wouldn't i wouldn't lie about that it's quite tasking um, it can be quite exhausting, but also there's quite a lot of pleasure from it because, you know, when you, you've given, you've done, you've supported somebody, when you see somebody who is literally on their knees, frightened to death about what the, the diagnosis um, of breast cancer is, and you walk them through that whole pathway mm-hmm. and you, they finish the treatment and you can see the glimmer of light in their eyes that is very pleasurable that is very very nice and and we, i tend to say to patients we do we do you know have enjoy your success as well you, you know the the, 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 yeah. the good things that come out from your treatments the the all the positive things that come out yeah. we do share in that as well because it's nice to know that mm. you've done something you've made an impact that mm. person is going to be able to move on yeah. and hopefully um carry on with their life however that life may be that new normal may be mm. for them um it's about being there to be able to support them through that and people do look back and say you know you did help me you you were there you heard you heard my hand at a time where i, I had i had i lost everything yeah yeah and that is very nice to to kind of know that you you were that pivotal in that in that in that journey in that experience which is not nice it's not a nice experience but you were able to at least alleviate some of that um pain and distress for them by supporting them and caring for them yeah amazing and i know that your work is is second to none and all of you all of your work is is second to none and it's been wonderful to hear and it's great for the listeners to hear um roles that they they didn't even know even existed because we're getting a lot of people that are listening who are family members of people that are going through cancer and people who uh, we're getting professionals um you know students even listening to to this podcast so it's so brilliant to get your perspective of things and and to hear also about your viewpoints from you know our communities and i think that's where i'm going to leave this podcast with one last question with you ladies what do you think because these statistics are obviously 
you know, the fertility rates are rising, cancer diagnosis are rising, you know, the COVID-19 stuff is going to have a huge impact on a lot of the work that we were doing before in terms of raising awareness. You know, it's, it's, a lot of people say we're going to have to go right back to basics with it um, because more people than ever before are not going into hospitals for treatment. There's a, there's a massive, massive, huge uh, gap right now that we're trying to sort out, you know, even getting people to go in for their regular treatments, scared that they're not going to come out alive again. What do you think in terms of the cancer world is needed for this to change? And you can take your time thinking of it, but, you know, unmute yourselves, please. Let me know, what do you think is so important for this to change? I mean, from my perspective, I do believe it's around education. I feel like there's a huge gap for education. Um, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. I think it's multifactorial, which is what I always say. I always say that there's, there's things that we can do and there's things that the scientists are going to have to do. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more research into breast cancer and specific to ethnicity. So I think hitherto, uh, you know, prior to this, a lot of the research has not really focused in differences in ethnicity and, and the outcomes. And I think that mm. increased, not just in breast cancer, in lots and lots of different areas, they are now realizing that one size is not fitting all. And so we also need to help with that, engaging in research programs and getting yeah. involved in aspects so that they can get the data that they need to be able um, to look at the different ways in which we, you know, the different ethnicities may react to cancer treatment or to cancer biology. Or, you know, so there's, there's lots of sort of basic science stuff that needs to be done. I think you're absolutely correct from our perspective, education. That's why we really, really hammered home the importance of being able to, so specific to breast cancer, the importance of being able to know your breast. We know that black women tend to present symptomatically. They're not always picked up through the screening program. Screening starts at the age of 50. Lots of black women are presenting with cancer that's younger than that. They felt the lump or they felt something different and had happened with their breast. And that's how they ended up being diagnosed. So really super critical that you know how to examine your breast and we hammer that point home every single time. And then I think it is, it, it's a, that relationship between people and their healthcare professionals. Right, that's why it's very important. I try and encourage as many people of colour as I can to get into medicine, get into surgery, get into oncology, you know, just get involved in all these services because the more you see people that look like you, the more likely you are to engage in the services. Um, all the outreach stuff that you're doing, again, really, really important, grassroots, speaking to people, the stuff that you did with your, you know, with your exhibition, just showing, look, this happens through medical school, lots of the conditions I learned about, I really think they affected black people. Why? Because we, because you never saw, exactly the same, you never saw people, pictures of black people, they didn't talk about black people having diseases. I genuinely did not, and I'm a doctor, I genuinely did not think black people got these diseases just not true we get a we get all of the diseases okay so you know that exposure knowing people that have had it knowing people that have had it come through it and they're doing all right that's that's really really powerful which is why it's just really great that the stuff that you do people can see you know you can't look at you and say leanne had cancer mm. you know so i think that that, that is you know really 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 powerful to tell people telling your stories you know, getting people to understand that there is life after this. Yeah. Um, it, it, you're right, education, education, it, it's critical. It, it's yeah. Thank you, Georgia. And it's, it's crazy because even like what you were saying, it's just so important that this is heard. 
what you said, there's so many facts in there that I would love to pick your brain at more. <laughs> you know, I feel it's like a, a whole podcast in itself. And I can imagine some people going, what? Huh? Hmm? So there are a lot of things you've just said. And this is the thing, education on both sides, though. We need the education. The healthcare professionals need it too. And there's a lot of things you just said there that I'm, I'm a bit like, what? You know? And yeah, it's just so important. Next conference, we need it. We need that conference booked in. We do. Sarah, Mary, yeah. what do you think? What do you think is the solution? I, I definitely think that we need a presence. I, I absolutely agree with everything that Georgette has said, but I think we need more of a presence because people do relate to people. Um, I remember on a couple of occasions where um, I questioned, and I did that with breast cancer now, uh, breast cancer care, before they, they joined up with breast cancer now, and I said, you know, if you pick up any information booklet about breast cancer, all you see is white Caucasian women. How would you, and all the adverts that you see on telly everywhere is white Caucasian women. How can any black woman relate to that? If everything about it is being shown as, you know, yes. an, another person. So people walk around thinking that black women don't get breast cancer or don't get cancer. Who yeah. stop? And yet it's not true. So it's about having that presence making sure that there is that presence out there saying it is happening, it's happening in our society, community. And there is a lot that we can do about it. And as Georgette said, you know, who would see you, Leanne, and think that you've had breast cancer? Mm -hmm. Nobody, you know, but you know, when you stand and you talk and you talk about your experience, it's, it's so moving it's, and it makes people can then relate. Actually, yes, mm -hmm. we need to stop and think about what, what is going on. Mm -hmm. So we need presence in education, we need presence in healthcare, very importantly, we need presence in the media as well to say that, you know, to, to, to showcase that it's happening not just to white Caucasian um, people, but also to BAME people. And it's out there. Um, very, very important. But also, I think there's, there's got to be some um, a, a different way of looking at health, profit, health as well in, in total, because there is a lot of um, misconception. Um, truly, truly so or not, within within our society and health and health provision, a lot of people don't have a lot of a lot of um, uh, um, confidence in healthcare. Um, and often you mentioned something like trials, and they go, "I'm not going to be used like as a guinea pig," or you know, yeah. people you take your blood and they do they do stuff with it, or they do extra, you yeah. know. So there's always a lot of misconception within our society mm -hmm. that can sometimes be a blockade in itself in us accessing health and healthcare at the right time in our life. So there's got to be a different way of looking at healthcare and knowing that we can influence that. You, if, if you're not there, you can't make a change. But if you're there and you're saying what you need to have for you, then your voice is being heard and you can influence, you can change the mindset, you can do things to, 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 to bring a change in our, in our world. So we've got to have that presence and that voice in there and yeah, it takes absolutely. all of us to do that to, mm. to, to push that mm. I remember I went to Austria to one of the um, breast prosthesis factories and I questioned them I said what, what, what why are you doing breast prosthesis that doesn't fit any, any black woman that color is not a black woman's color yeah. you cannot tell me that's yeah. suitable for yeah. any woman mm. you know so but but you have to make people think, stop people to think about what is that you're doing and how that impacts on, 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 on the people that you're trying, to, you, you're trying to help. But actually, that can be more of a hindrance than helping them. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got to have that voice there, I, I, I definitely think. And again, you know, education, education, and empowerment. 
we need that empowerment we need that encouragement Mm -hmm. to be able to sort of come forward yes yes exactly very very important thank you sarah mary what do you think awesome um to be honest i agree that um both georgia and sarah have said i honestly agree so much with what they've said um i think knowledge is power um and like you know, they both rightly said education because even though, like I said before, even though the information is out there, we still need to go forth, um, encourage people, educate them about signs and symptoms. It, from everything that Georgia has said, even people about the um, routine um, routine screening that, you know, people do have these lumps and people just don't want to, they, they hide all under the carpet and they don't want to, they don't want to speak to people about it. So the more we educate them, it also debunks rumours because within the black community or within any community, to be honest, we believe rumours more than we actually believe um, factual um, information. Yeah. So when we have, when we have these conversations, so when we when when we say education, education doesn't necessarily mean you know having a having a pen and a paper or a book. It means you know by starting these conversations, absolutely forcing our community and saying, okay, we must have this conversation. We can't just shy away from it because you know um, someone was saying last week on Instagram like that. You know, ten years, um, a few years ago, not ten years ago, um, a very long time ago. Caucasian people didn't like talking about cancer as well. It was hush hush. But look at them now. But if you look at us, we're still very much behind. So when we have these conversations, this is a form of education. So it doesn't need to be pen and paper, if that makes sense. It, that's also debunking all these rumors and also um, putting hope in people. Whereby when we have this conversation, someone's empowered. Like Sarah said, when we have this conversation, someone takes that bit of knowledge, they're empowered, they can go back into their community and educate other people. And before we know it, everyone is so much confident to talk about cancer. They're much, they're, they're able to talk about cancer openly as well. Um, and I think more people standing up as well. Um, and like the ladies rightly said, you've been through it and now you can come out and talk about it as well. There's so many people who've gone through it that they would never, um, they would never say, even I know aunties who, um, they've seen cancer education and they're like oh yeah you know i went through um i went through this treatment for this and it's like really auntie you did <laughs> like, yeah. What? yeah i didn't even know you did yeah it's so true why are you not using your story to then inspire another person's life i they don't understand how much power they have with their own um story with their own journey like your your you coming out speaking can save someone else's yeah. life that other woman across the road from you might just have that lump that she's so scared to go to someone else, but she can see that, oh, such a person had this. Oh, it sounds similar to what, what's happening with them and they can go and get help immediately. So I think it's also um, knowledge and power and understanding how much power knowledge has that, okay, you've been through this. Don't keep quiet about it. Speak about it as well because other people need to know about this. Um, and I think from a professional point of view as well, um, like I said earlier, and like Sarah said, and like Georgette said as well, it's always, um, we can't make up um, things um, that we don't include everyone across the um, spectrum. We can't just make up wigs that we don't think, you know, you can't give a blonde, you know, I know some blonde, um, some black ladies wear blue. You can't give a black lady the same no. wig for Asian lady. It doesn't work. We need to, we need to think about everyone across the spectrum, even if it's prosthesis, everything. We need to literally think about that because when we don't, you're ignoring that side of yeah. um, the 
and saying that they don't they don't matter or they can they can cope with whatever so i think as professionals as well we also need to educate ourselves because um even i know some of my colleagues as well they find it hard to to have this conversation with um, people from ethnic minority community because they just don't know how to relate. Imagine being in a room with an elderly lady, your Caucasian professional, and she's telling you, oh, but I can't speak to my family about this. They're, they're in shock because they're like, why can't you speak to them about it? Is there, I so know. I think both, yeah. as, um, both as the public and both as the professionals, we need to educate ourselves. We need to constantly have this conversation and, and think like the conference that Georgia is having, I think so, you know, it's so amazing because across the board that the more we keep having this conversation the more things are going to change the more society is going to change and i'm very hopeful that in a few years time things will, will change you know people from black asian and ethnic minority community will be able to talk about cancer more openly and more confidently yes. well, absolutely so, yeah. and it is and it is really really happening i think there's been some great initiatives in the last couple of years i've been doing this and I've seen such such a huge narrative start to shift and change. And I think it's about building and building and building on that. <clears throat> but I don't think, I feel like we need to build on it and be very, very careful to build on it collectively. Because I've been doing this for three years and, I, and, I, and it's not a job I want to do. It's a job that I feel that I need to do because I see that the community needs me to share the story. But I make it very clear to people, I am not trying to make this my full-time job. And the minute I see that this is going and people can make it happen, I'm exiting because I have another full-time job that I need to focus on. But I think what's very, very important is that we're all here. And then it's a calling to all of you guys here is that we're doing this together. You've got the survivors, you've got the people who are going through it, and then you've got the organisations. We need to come together because we are minorities, not to be seen to be working separately or against each other. Because I've seen that also in the cancer world, people setting up their own little things and wanting to work separate. It's not going to work. It's embarrassing and it makes us look, you know, um, divided. And that is not what we want to do. We want to come together. We want to say the same thing, sing from the same hymn sheet. And when you do that, that is so powerful, such a powerful force to our community. All three of you coming on the show tonight with your own individual stories, with what you do, it's absolutely amazing and inspiring. And people need to hear your stories, but then they also need to hear the patient's experience stories as well. So a conference, watch this space listeners, a conference in a couple of months time is what you are gonna be hearing about. And we hope that everybody, our friends and family and colleagues, not just of the black community, will come together for this and, and hear more and hear ways that they can help and, and get involved and raise awareness. And like you said, you know, I, I hear the keywords coming out from all of you guys from professionally as well, just about education, but it's 50, 50, it's both ways professionally and also on the ground. And like I say with everyone, it always starts with, like Mary very rightly pointed out, it's not about education with books and leaflets and pamphlets. Actually, it's about healthy conversation and having those healthy conversations start a lot. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Where can people find you? Georgette, where can people find you if they want to hear more about what you do or everything? So I don't have any sort of official, um you know, like media handle or anything like that. Um, I'm basically based in Nottingham Breast Institute um, in Nottingham. Um, but um, 
you know, my door is literally open, so they can, they, you know, if they've got questions about things, they can, they can always find me at Nottingham City Hospital working away. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, Mary, do you have platforms that people can grab you on? Yes, um, so you can follow at cancer underscore eduk. Um, so that's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and just type in cancer education on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, just cancer education, um, cancer underscore eduk. Um, yeah, we'll put it in the bio as well so people can take it as well. And Sarah, obviously, I know that you do your work professionally as well. You're a bit like Georgette. You guys are in the hospital on the ground, right? Yes. Yeah, I am. So I don't have any platform, but um, I am on most um, social media platforms. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and as Georgette said, I'm always, oh, my, my, my doors are always open. I... I'm not bothered at all. People can ask me questions. People can ask for suggestions, advice, guidance, and I'm always more than happy to help anyone. So, you know, I always say, to ladies, you know, see me as your sister, your daughter, whatever, and just yeah, use use my 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 use me as much as you need it to. <laughs> so yeah, I just wish I yeah. had you free. <laughs> I wish I had you free around when I was going through my treatment. This is what makes me, I, I feel a bit like jealous now. I'm like, gosh, how, how are you free? Like, I wish I had you guys around and it's so inspiring. You've really inspired me um, with what you do, your stories, what you're doing now. You know, I can imagine your working hours and the things that you have to do and witness and go through, but yet you also give so much back to the communities. and. When I do finally do the exhibition at the Tate Gallery, all three of you have to come to the gallery and, and, and do a panel talk or whatever you guys want, showcase whatever you're wanting to do, you know, take some slots, whatever. You've got to all get involved because it's, it's just so important and you're all really, really inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. A pleasure. You remember as well is that you are paying it forward as well. So, you know, what you're doing, this podcast, you know, you, you really, I know you keep saying that you're going to exit, but I don't believe it. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I don't think you're going to I exit. Yeah. <laughs> I Every time I say that with cancer education, it's never possible. I don't think you will. <laughs> you are amazing, Leanne. Thank you for your support. It means a lot. And it's it's a hard world, isn't it, this cancer world? But you know what? Thank you all for your support. And you've all got mine as well. So thank you so much, yeah? And you know what? I've, I've, I now have a, a platform to direct lots of um, BAME women when I see them in my clinic and say, actually, go on, go on Instagram. Follow, follow, follow Leanne Perro. And I give you a name and say, Black Women Rising. Follow that. Go to the support. At, you know, talk to her. So... You have given me another avenue to direct my ladies to and be oh, be very confident that they're going to get support that they need. So thank you. It's no, amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's so good to bring this all together and be able to talk. We've also got a few other initiatives that I'm going to talk to you guys about separately as well. So we'll have a bit more of a chat about that another time because I just thought of something actually there. All right. Thank you. Well, fantastic. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Bye. Good evening. You too. Bye. Wow. What wonderful lady, Charlotte. Yeah, one insight. 
do you know what? I feel like goosebumps at how proud I am of what can happen when we showcase and get given the, the opportunity to showcase how great we are as black women. It's you know, a powerful thing. It's so powerful. You know, it's so powerful. This is what the Black Women Rising movement is about. Like, for me, I looked at those three today, you know, obviously it's virtually. You looked at those three today and just thought, I wish you were part of my treatment plan. Yeah. And I feel so lucky for the patients that get you because you will automatically uh, make their cancer experience different. It's true. Yeah. You feel so much safer, you know. Yeah. And you're Having support from someone who looks like you, it makes a world of difference when you're in treatment. Yeah. But also will provide some sort of level of understanding of what you're going through, but not necessarily from the cancer perspective, but personally as well. Yeah. And that is the important thing. We're not saying that we don't want white doctors and things like that. We're not <laughs> saying that. We're saying it's about the understanding of our cultural needs. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening guys um, and again thank you so much for the love and support we've been just overwhelmed with everything um again we'll put all the podcast information in the podcast brief and as usual you can find us at black women rising uk i'm at liam Perro official don't ask me why i put official there liam Perro was god at the time but a lot of people always ask me that why did you put official but anyway it just makes me sound <laughs> Anyway, and then you can obviously find Charlotte at Charlotte Crowell. Um, so, yeah, give us a tag. Let us know if you're enjoying the episodes and any feedback is welcome. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye.